Welcome to Timberline Windsor. Thanks for joining us this weekend. We are a church family that strives to let love live in every facet of our lives. We at Timberline Windsor desire everyone, every man, woman, and child that calls this church family home to be a part of Connections. To join one today, visit our website or download the Timberline app. Enjoy today's message. There is tremendous ministry going on in our children's and our student ministry. And uh, by the way, we always want to keep in front of you that, that call, that invitation, that nudge that Linda was just talking about, that opportunity to say, hey, if you feel compelled, if you are just waiting for someone to tell you there's a need and issue an invitation, that day has come today. We have a great need, a great opportunity. As I said last week, when people want to know about what's going on in ministries outside of this room on the weekends, what's going on in the other buildings and, and the other rooms, I'm telling you, it's not childcare. We may feel like here we sit and we know our kids are being well taken care of, and they are, but I'm telling you, it's not just childcare. It's ministry, it's relationships, it's people pouring into our kids, and those teams are doing it in tremendous ways. I said last week, people often, when they want to know about how a ministry is going, will give me numbers. Well, we have numbers because we have calls for, for leaders and these teams expanding, and we open new areas, and they just fill up, and we need more. In fact, on new areas that we've opened up, those mods, modulars that we've had for a couple of years, we've been working on those being kind of uh, exterior improvements, and then we, we've really been working on the interiors. In fact, to the point where um, I knew that once we were doing kind of a renovation of the interior, I was going to wait until we're done, like fully done, for me to go in and see what it's like. And so that weekend has come. That's this weekend. We would love for you, we kind of have an open house in the modulars out there. Um, we'd love for you, especially if you don't have kids, Go over and check out those mods. Go over and start up a conversation with one of the volunteers. I'm telling you, it's tremendous stuff. And we would be missing out if all that great stuff is happening each week and throughout the week and, and here in this room, we don't know about it. I'm telling you it's happening. I'm telling you, you wanna have an exposure or just check out what's been going on in those rooms. Incredible stuff, incredible ministry. Have you ever been hunted? Like, no matter what you say or do, there's that person that's just after you. Maybe you say something completely innocuous or even pleasant, and all you get from them is pushback. They don't like your shoes. They think your haircut's trying to prove something. They know your motives and your agenda. They know you're evil. Have you ever been hunted? As he steps on the ministry and preaching scene, Jesus is being hunted by some expert snipers. Today's passage, Mark chapter 2, verses 23 through 28, it follows the challenges that Jesus received about the Pharisees. These are the expert snipers, and they are waiting for just the right moment to fire. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. 
And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat. And he also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. You just get this sense that, that the Pharisees are watching him like hawks, waiting for him to do something, anything, stub his toe, just so that they could fire. And then as the disciples go along and they pluck heads of grain, and then they, they wipe, they rub out the grain, probably blowing away the chaff to get a bite, they found their chance. Aha, work on the Sabbath. You're basically doing the devil's work here. See, see you're, you're plucking the grain, that'd be reaping. You're rubbing out the grain, that'd be threshing. And then you're blowing away the chaff, that'd be winnowing. It's work on the Sabbath. Sinners. And Jesus doesn't dismiss them. He takes their challenge seriously as a teaching and a clarifying opportunity. And his reply comes from a scene that we read about back in 1 Samuel chapter 21. And then when you go back to that story, it builds on something we're going to read about in Deuteronomy 23, 25. So all the way back to Deuteronomy 23, 25, it says, if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain. So plucking the heads of the grain, that, that's not the problem here. You're, you're allowed to do that. And in fact, that wasn't even what the Pharisees were after. No, the plucking of the grain, that's fine. What they were after was harvesting on the Sabbath, working on the Sabbath. God commanded his people, you shall not work on Shabbat, Sabbath. And here's the thing, they're not wrong. Not by the letter of the law. Their problem continues to be that they're utterly missing the heart. And so to address that, Jesus goes back to a case study, he uses 1 Samuel chapter 21 and David, and let's read about that. David is being hunted by King Saul. And it says, Then David came to Nob, to Ahimelech the priest. And Ahimelech came to meet David, trembling, and said to him, Why are you alone and no one with you? And David said to Ahimelech the priest, The king has charged me with a matter and said to me, Let no one know anything of the matter about which I send you and with which I have charged you. I have made an appointment with the young men for such and such a place. Now then, what do you have on hand? Give me five loaves of bread or whatever is here. And the priest answered David, I have no common bread on hand, but there is holy bread, if the young men have kept themselves from women. And David answered the priest, Truly, women have been kept from us as always when I go out on expedition. The vessels of the young men are holy even when it is an ordinary journey. How much more today will their vessels be holy? 
So the priest gave him the holy bread. So here we have David. He's being hunted by King Saul. He was hungry, and those who were with him were desperately hungry. And the only thing at Ahimelech's disposal was the holy bread, bread reserved for the priest only. So how could the priest give David this bread in good conscience? By including this story in his response to the Pharisees, Jesus tells us human need takes priority over ceremonial law. Apparently the priest, Ahimelech, he knew this. Or wait, was it Abiathar? I'm confused because you go back to 1 Samuel chapter 21 and it says Ahimelech is the priest, but, but in Mark, in today's passage in Mark, Jesus said David entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar, the priest. <gasps> Did Jesus just make a mistake? <laughs> or was it Mark's mistake, a flaw in our Bibles? Well, first of all, it's possible that Jesus is saying something representative here. Like, in the time of Derry Northrup, Timberline Windsor started a sermon series on Mark. He's referring to the more prominent, the more well-known figure. Because Abiathar was the father of Ahimelech, and he was the more well-known, prominent priest. It's possible that Jesus was simply not intending to say who gave David the bread, but it was a time marker. That's possible. One possible explanation among others. But honestly, to an extent, we don't really know whose move it was, whose intentionality it was. Was it Jesus's or Mark's? We don't really know. <laughs> but no joke, people that are hunting the Bible for error or people that are hunting the divinity of Jesus for error use passages like this and they go, okay, okay, so maybe he walked on water in calm storms and rose from the dead, but he's clearly not God because one day he said Abiathar when it was really Ahimelech. So he's not perfect, he's not God. Or they use that to hunt the Bible for errors in muddy, unclear situations like this. Either way, it's not critical to the meaning. There are possible explanations for it. I don't know which one is accurate, so let's focus on the point. Let's get back to the point. The point of both 1 Samuel 21 and also God's allowance in Deuteronomy was that human need takes priority over religious ritual. And, and conversely, when God gives us religious practices, he does so because in some way, shape, or form, they're meeting a human need. Jesus says, Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And then he says, the son of man is Lord even of the Sabbath. That is gold right there. Sabbath or Shabbat, it's as old as creation itself, going all the way back to when God rested after his creative work. It's the establishment of the seven-day week Six days of work, labor, production, and then one day that is holy, is set apart. For all of us who are ego and pride-driven at attempts at control that overtake us in our weeks, and trust me, 
I'm seriously guilty there too. I'll, I'll share a little bit more on that in a bit. But for those of us that are, are so driven by our sense of production and control in the week, Sabbath is a reminder that, yes, you can afford one day of ceasing. Yes, it is good for you. Yes, the world will keep spinning if you just stop and not by your doing. It's a built-in reminder to the pattern of each week of who is in control. It's a gift. Sabbath is a gift, not a religious straitjacket. This is for us. It's a good gift, something that you and I need, especially in the seasons where we don't think we can afford it. I don't think I can afford to let up even a little bit. That's especially when Sabbath is a great gift for us. Now, don't get it twisted and turn it into a confining straitjacket that makes it more restrictive. That's the point Jesus was making to the Pharisees and to those of us that forget the gift nature of ceasing, of resting. Fitness people, you know this, that that there is a necessary point of strengthening your muscles of rest. That's when the healing and the strengthening happens. You you work out, you, you tear essentially down your muscles, you use them up, and then when you're resting, the healing takes place and the building takes place. The strengthening takes place. That's Sabbath. He's hardwired it into our bodies and he's hardwired it into our souls. Sabbath was made for you, not you for the Sabbath. And then the second half of his reply, the son of man is Lord even over the Sabbath. Now, Son of Man, that's Jesus' preferred self-title. Pastor Donnie explored it a little bit a couple of weeks back, and those of us that are in the Revelation study, we're encountering it as well. But I like the way that Jesus doesn't just say, Sabbath is a gift. He says, Sabbath is a gift. He establishes that point, and then he says that he is Lord even over our gift. God is Lord, even over our gifts. Perfect, sovereign rule of the king applies to the good things that he gives us. For those of us that view God like some just restrictive rule maker, he does try to help us avoid the things that are going to hurt us, and he does try to still be Lord over the good things that he gives us, in order that they may stay good things. Have you ever had a good thing, a good gift turn sour? All the time. Sex, alcohol, money, leisure, productivity. We could go on and on and on. Good things that if they're not understood or used or respected in the way they're intended, they turn cancerous. It's that way with Sabbath too. Rest, he is Lord over this gift. He's the one that gave it to us, so use it like he intends it. James 1.17, every good gift and every perfect gift 
is from above, coming down from the Father. 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. He gives us good gifts so that they would stay good gifts. I want this to be as a reminder of why do we, some of us, have a ritual or a pattern in our lives of praying before a meal or praying on the first chair lift up on a ski day or praying over our offering? Why do we do these things? As a reminder that, hey, these good things that we have, they came from you. And I need to continue to remember that, that you are Lord even over the good things so that they could stay good things. God is Lord even over our gifts. He's the source of our blessings. And remembering that honors him and keeps them good. So if we can pretty quickly and simply reconcile this challenge from the Pharisees and Jesus's response, let's now try to look a bit more at the value of the gift in question and the heart of the giver. For that, I want to head back to some of the initial points of giving it. It's, it's the gift of Sabbath or Shabbat was one of the Ten Commandments echoed all throughout Exodus And we find in Leviticus chapter 23, there's this great explanation of the heart, of kind of unpacking what the Sabbath is. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest. A holy convocation, that means gathering. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. See, I know it's a, it's a Ten Commandment and we, we might view it as a do this because I said so. Here in Leviticus, I feel like it's got this language of like, this is for your good. It's a rest to the Lord. Don't do work on this day. It's a holy convocation, a holy gathering with others. You're supposed to enjoy this together as a pattern of life, to refuel resting into the arms of the Lord in a time of solemn rest in the midst of six other days of work. Solemn rest from work and productivity and striving and worry and control. Do you think you need maybe a little bit more of that in your life? You think our world might benefit from people that are full in their tanks, not running on fumes, I studied a course on this and read a book called Keeping the Sabbath Holy. There's a little play on words there, W-H-O-L-L-Y. And uh, it's got an intriguing angle of a deeper dive on this likely unexperienced and unexplored gift. That's what I think Sabbath is for most of us, for many of us. It's a likely unexperienced and unexplored gift. And this book If you're interested, it can kind of take you deeper on what does that look like? How do I do that? So that's kind of like a light recommendation if that's something you want to dive deeper into, keeping the Sabbath holy. But I'm guessing that perhaps you're just not buying it. (laughs) In one ear, out the other. You're just not going to rest. You can't afford it. 
You're addicted to it. You like it. Practically, for those of us who neglect the gift of Sabbath or devalue it, might we be at risk of missing the heart like the Pharisees did? And right here, I say us, and I mean us. If there is a club on this point, I gotta be president. Because I'll tell you what, when I first saw what sermon I was preaching this weekend, and I knew it was on Sabbath and, and, and resting and ceasing, I was like, okay, here it comes. I got some culpability and some aspects to look into here. And I hope you'll give me some grace here because I'm gonna be pretty honest with some things that aren't gonna be pretty about me as a person, me as a pastor. I kind of thought of it like a humble brag like a Michael Scott school of flaws. I care too much. I work too hard. Sorry about that one, God. I'll work on that. Probably not. Because then I'd have to lay the pastoral mantle down, and I don't really want to do that. The truth is, I like it. The truth is, I have a really strong thirst for productivity, and I love my job, most of it at least. And it can be pretty hard to set that pastoral agenda aside and stop striving. And I'm not really all that sure that I want to. Okay, that's authentically where my heart was. And that's when in prayer over this message, one Thursday, a couple of weeks ago, heading into a Friday, Friday is my ceasing day. That's my weekend day. And I found myself facing this question. What happens when I don't value or experience the gift of Sabbath? Like, play this one out, John. Felt like God gave me a little bit like, okay, you're George Bailey. It's a wonderful life. You wish you never existed. Let's, let's play this one out for a bit. And it was like I got hit by a rock right between the eyes. And I immediately saw three things, and they aren't pretty. First. It's unhealthy. Don't belittle that. That's a big deal. Second, it's spiritually arrogant. And third, it's a horrible model. This wasn't like a sliver of sin. I realized this was a walloping cancer that I was very much in danger of just justifying away and allowing it to fester and do its thing in my life. Let me take you through those three again. Let me, let me take you through this It's a Wonderful Life journey. Because he said, let's play this one out. Okay, you're a pastor. You're, you're a guy that has now decided I'm gonna have some spiritually unhealthy practice in my life relationally unhealthy, physically unhealthy, mentally unhealthy. What happens when you or I allow something that we know is definitively unhealthy to become a permanent pattern in our life? Doesn't end up well, does it? For me, it would be burnout, hypocrisy, being spiritually selective. You want that? In a pastor, somebody that just goes, I'll follow this, I'm not gonna follow that, I'll value this, I'm not gonna value that. How about a feeling of entitlement? Other people, lesser people, they, they work six days, I, I work 24-7. You want that? That's, that's unhealthy. And it's gonna lead to burnout. It'll take you out. Ouch. 
That's just strike one. Strike two, it's spiritually arrogant. I felt like God was kind of compelling me like, you got this on your own, do you? You're gonna do this by your own strength, by your own rules? How's that gonna last for you? On your own terms, doing things your way. Ouch. (laughs) Strike two. Felt pretty convicted. And then strike three hit. It's a horrible model. You would not allow your family, your wife, your friends, your coworkers, you would not allow people that you care about to, to have that pattern in their life. So if that's the case, you wouldn't allow it for others, but, but you do it yourself. Are we setting up a pattern of hypocrisy now, John? Is that what we're doing here? Guys, I share that with you because I saw my sin not as a little cute thing that I had to kind of navigate. I saw it as a cancer that would take me out, that would result in me not having the blessing and the opportunity to have the relationships that I have or the pastoral role that I get to have. I don't want that. God, I see it the way you saw it. I honestly am telling you, it felt like physically that day, like I got punched in the gut and said, thank you. Thank you, God, I see it your way. And I immediately texted my wife on that Thursday and said, hey, tomorrow I gotta take this seriously. I'm taking it seriously. It's really important to me. And, and of course, with kind of a smirk, she replied in her text, oh, so you're not allowed to be a workaholic then. <laughs> Listen, practically, for those of you who are like me, who kind of devalue the gift of Sabbath, might we be in danger of a pharisaical mind missing the whole point? I think so now. And I would encourage you to think twice before just dismissing this or downplaying it. And for the person that's still going great, Another thing that I gotta fill into my already busy, tight week. I think you're missing the heart of what Jesus said. This is a gift for you. You're gonna need it. You don't want it, you disagree with it, then it's only you that's suffering because of that, enslaving yourself to crazy busyness. So many of us are there self-enslavement because we get a sense of identity out of it. If I lightly recommended keeping the Sabbath holy earlier, I very strongly recommend this book. Anyone that's ever worked on staff on this campus knows that, that this book is a culture setter for us called Crazy Busy by Kevin DeYoung. It's a mercifully short book that helps remind us Don't take yourself and your schedule so seriously to the point that you self-enslave to it. That's the way of the world. That's the way of the enemy. You wanna know what spiritual warfare might be rampant throughout this room right now? Busyness. The enemy or our flesh teaming together and saying, keep them busy. Because five years from now, that'll take them out. That'll destroy marriages. That'll destroy relationships. People that are constantly trying to live out of an empty tank, yeah, that won't last. That's how I'll 
neuter the power of the church. Man, if you see it like this, if you see our enslavement to busyness, not like in a confidence braggadocious way, but, but like a sin, it'll cause us to repent. It'll cause us to turn to God and say, you gave it to us for a reason. You're a good God who gives good gifts. I'm gonna turn myself and trust in that. And that's where I wanna turn on this last point. The good heart of the giver. The gospel is the opposite of being hunted. The great giver, he doesn't just presume that there are things in our lives that I got this for you, you might like it. He knows exactly what we need. And when he gives things like commandments or he gives things like laws and says, I want you to do this as a pattern for your life, he is always for our good. For those of us who have been hunted by others, people that are trying to find just the right way to attack us, this God is the opposite of that. He gives us good gifts right at the right time that we need them for our good. When he calls you to something and you disagree, or let me flip this around, when he calls me to something and I disagree like Sabbath, is my faith strong enough that you're not just savior. You're not just the one that died on the cross for my sins. You're also Lord of my life. You call the shots. And I'm gonna allow you to define the good stuff that you've given me in order that it might stay good. My friends, it is that same way for those of us that are resistant to faith or those of us that are lukewarm in our faith. We're in, but we're not in with both feet, not fully surrendered, holding back because honestly, being on the outskirts of faith is kind of more comfortable he can be savior, but he's not really yet Lord. If that's where you're at, I want you to see it from the gospel point of view. I want you to see it from today's lessons point of view. He's a good giver. He deserves to be Lord over our lives because he's the one that gives us all these good things. He says, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father give good gifts? Matthew 7, 11. Or maybe you're somebody that, that saw your sin like I did with my spiritual arrogance and neglecting Sabbath. You, saw, you see the sin that you're facing in your life, not as a, a trivial matter, but as a soul-threatening cancer. And if that's where you're at, you can entrust your whole self to the great physician. He's a good God, desiring to be Lord and Savior over your life. And I want to pray to that end. Would you close your eyes? I want us to close our eyes because we want to pray and extend an opportunity for all of us to respond physically, to raise hands to anything that might apply to us. This is a holy convocation. Remember that. We're not striving or, or producing something right now. It's between you and your good God. And 
right off the bat, I want to pray for anybody that needs to fully receive him as Savior and Lord. Maybe you've been drawn here or listening online and and you've been far from God for whatever reason. And he's stirring a love and a repentance, a turning in you. Or maybe you've, you've been surrounded by faith, but you're on the outskirts, not fully surrendering to him. And today is a day where you're saying, yeah, I'm compelled by that. Something's stirring me. I'm all in. If that's you, either of those cases, on the first time or on the outskirts of faith, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you. Thank you. Anybody else? I love this. I love God that there is honesty and soul work right now. That because of the gospel, because of your good heart and your message, things are awakening that otherwise go dormant and we praise you for that and we ask God that you would guide us by your gaze, by your leading deeper, into a life where where you are trusted, you are our savior and you are Lord. You call the shots. We thank you for that, that new life, that new strengthening that is happening right now. It's a miracle work that only you can do. Next, I wanna pray for those of us, and I'm absolutely in this camp, who need to explore more of a pattern of ceasing in our lives. Maybe we ask questions like, what is work and striving? And where does my work give me a sense of identity? We are invited in resting towards trusting and abiding in God. There are so many of us that are self-enslaved to busyness, and this reminds us who really calls the shots. If that's you, I want you to raise a hand. I'm there. Thank you. Yes, God. Yes, there are so many of us, God, that see that either self-enslavement to busyness or or just a reminder that, that you are the God over all things that you have given us. I pray that, that we would fully entrust ourselves to you, reminding ourselves that, that we can't afford not to do this. We can't afford lives where we just try to go on our own strength. We need the patterns in our life that remind us, you're Lord. It all depends on you. My whole life, my whole value system, you're Lord of it all. I thank you for the courage and the response of people saying, yeah. Yeah, I'm there. And I pray that you would help us be a people that lay ourselves down so completely that you continue to mold us and make us more and more like you, Jesus. We want to see you. We want to see you in our souls. Amen. We hope you encountered the love and power of Jesus in today's service. If you're interested in giving, for joining serving opportunities, and much more, visit timberlinechurch.org slash connect. Have a great week. Go be the church and let love live.